Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. You know, before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore and the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the rise of outlaw country music and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision in her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Hey, I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the St. Jude kids. St. Jude's doing incredible work fighting childhood cancer. And because of donations, like the ones that you get, families never receive a bill ever from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, food, none of that. Help St. Jude stop childhood cancer. Become a partner in hope. Get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. It's going to look great on you. So join all the doctors, researchers, and me in this fight. All right, text the word Bobby. It's only six numbers to 785-833. Again, text the word Bobby to just these six numbers, 785-833. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to episode 295, Craig Morgan. It's just a fantastic interview. He talks about going to the military, talks about being a country artist, his friendship with Blake, his friendship with Gwen, living in a remote part of Alaska. It's just fantastic. So I do want to get to that pretty quick. But the top five releases this week in my mind, let's do this. At number five, Coldplay has a new song out called Higher Power. Listen, I love Coldplay. Here's a clip of that song. But you've got At number four, Miranda Lambert has released her album, The Marfa Tapes. Here's a new song called Waxahachie. Is that your hometown? That is my hometown, yeah. So Waxa or Waxa? Waxahachie. I said it wrong. How does it feel to have a song about your hometown? I love it. Dang. What is there to do in Waxahachie? Uh, nothing. Basically, what she says in the song, <laughs> go by 35. That's it. Well, why do they make us write a song about it? I don't know. It's a funny, funny name of a town? Funny name. It's If you're coming from Dallas, you go right through it. Yeah. But other than that, there's not much to do there. Man, that's crazy. Your town got a song named I know. after it. At number three, the Black Keys have a new song. They're back. It's called Going Down South. And number two, Brandon Ray has a new song out called Hold On. Here you go. Hold on just a little bit longer. Hold on. You gotta be stronger. Hold on. You're not alone. Hold on. It's gonna get better. Hold 
And then number one, Weezer has a new album called Van Weezer. It's their 15th album. And as its title implies, Van Weezer is Weezer's take on hard rock, drawn from Van Halen, Ozzy, Aerosmith. Here's a new song called I Need Some of That. I do love Weezer so much so that I went on a podcast recently as a Weezer expert. Really? Mm-hmm. What'd you talk about? Weezer and my love of them and why and the difference between the Blue Album and Pinkerton and why people don't like Pinkerton. and Which is your favorite? The Blue Album. But yeah. I, I liked Pinkerton anyway just because everybody hated it when it came out. And I was like, you guys are stupid. I love Weezer. <laughs> and I really didn't like it as much, but I said I did. But now I like it even more, I think, yeah. because it's different than the Blue... So, but anyway, we talked about that. And, nice. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Albums out. Kenny Chesney's got a deluxe uh, edition of Here and Now. Mighty Mighty Boss Tones have one. Van Morrison has latest record project, Volume 1. Run the names? It ran out. B.B. Uh, Rex has Better Mistakes. Stained has Live It's Been a While. Get it? There's almost It's Been a While. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Tickets to Bobby Fest are on sale now. We're doing one-day festivals in two different cities. Whitewater Amphitheater in New Braunfels, Texas, which is between San Antonio and Austin. And then Wave in Wichita, Kansas. It will be us, the Raging Idiots. Russell Dickerson's going to play. Maddie and Tay. It's going to be a big, fun event all day, family. If you want tickets, Ticketmaster.com. Get tickets there. Everclear is hitting the road with Living Color, Hoobastank, and Weedus. Love Everclear. Saw Art Alexis play recently by himself. Songwriter show. His voice was just not there. Yeah, I've seen him too recently. He just wasn't there. Thankfully, cool, the, thank, yeah, it was really cool. Thankfully, the crowd knew the songs. We sang them loud enough to help him. But I would still go to this. It sounds fun. Uh, Hoobastank has the reason, which is this song. Yeah, Crawling in the Dark. Um, we just had I'm just a teenage. Yeah. Do you have anything from Living Color? I do. Cult of Personality. Oh. I know this, but I'm just, I didn't know that. I mean, yeah, I had to look I'd probably up. skip out. I'd <laughs> skip out on the Living Color part. There you go. Let's see. I think that's it. Thank you all. Hope you enjoyed this interview with Craig Morgan. It was fantastic. If, if you don't mind, go rate this thing all the stars. Five? Five stars. Please, it helps us so much if you rate it five stars and you uh, write some feedback. It really does boost us up the charts, and we're, we're grateful. Thank you. Enjoy. I walked out of my house, and there was a, <laughs> like a massive army jeep out there. <laughs> if I were to see you drive up beside me in that thing, I, 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 would, I would be scared. Nah. Because it looks like, like about four guys about to start peeling out of the back to fix a problem. <laughs> that, that's a jeep you drive somewhere when it's time to fix a problem. Or unless you're sitting in a ditch, then you're happy to see me pull yeah, up. Yeah, I would agree with Or Unless you have the problem, it's getting fixed. Yeah, if you're the problem getting fixed, it's a great vehicle to see. I was, if you're the problem, you don't want to see that truck and those guys. Is that <laughs> a truck that you did special stuff to, or did you buy it like that? We did a few special things. Man, it's awesome. Yeah. Like, I, I was jealous. I saw it. It's like, awesome. And I don't think I could pull off like a big man. Even when you pulled up, <laughs> even when you pulled up to the gate here, Mike, you know, the camera looks out. Yeah, yeah. And... I was um, looking over some notes for this here, and 
I, I, it goes, Bee! I got a little note and I hit it. And it's Craig, but you don't see him because it's so tall. You literally just see a, a black door. It's like, I'm here for Bobby. And I was like, yes, sir, you are. Okay, let me let you in here. <laughs> no, whatever. My, my wife can't hardly stand it, though. She says, actually, she calls it the wobbly shopping cart. Is she it says it drives well? like a wobbly. I think it drives like a Cadillac, but... But I've driven wildly shopping carts, so <laughs> yeah, you know. I was coming over here a minute ago, and I told Caitlin, who you met, my fiance. Yep. I was like, "Hey, I'm going over to see Craig." We love, by the way. Yeah, we both we like we both love more yeah. than Bobby. Yeah. <laughs> I said, um, I said, "I'm going over to see Craig," and she goes, "Hey, check with him and see if that shirt he told me about was real." And I was like, "Which one?" She goes, "The one that said I'm the guy that had all these songs." A fact. Yes. She said, if he's still making those, can you get me one? Oh, we can definitely get that's one. A real, but I told her, I said, I think he was joking. Oh, no, I really did a shirt that way. You have a shirt that says what? Uh, on, the, on the front, it's got my picture, I think. Does it have my picture on the front? It's like a silhouette. It's got a silhouette of me. And on the back, it has a list of all the hits. Well, not all of them, <laughs> but this was early on. But there's yeah. like 10 hit songs. And it says the guy, Craig Morgan, the guy who sings, and it lists the songs. She was because like, at that point in my career, you know, a lot of people knew the music. Uh, but they still didn't really know who who Craig Morgan was. So, what was it for? By the way, I want one of those shirts. I want two of those shirts. One for <laughs> me and one for her. Because okay. we're both massive fans. <laughs> and she, as much as I like you, she may be a bigger fan. I'll be honest. <laughs> I, I was. I'm definitely gonna get you a shirt if. I, if know, you it's still weird have to them. send one, assuming that someone wants something. Because then it's to me, then it seems a little arrogant. Hey, well, I got I'm you a shirt. I'm <laughs> directly asking for a shirt with your you face will on have it and one. your song. Both of you guys will have one. The, uh, the how I found out, I, I told you this story, but we were, I think we were in Arkansas. We were staying at the cabin over, that we have over there, like deep in the woods, and we were listening to the country station that I'm on there, and that's what I love about Sundays comes on. And she's singing it, and I look over, and she's still singing it, and I look over, and I'm like, you know every word? She goes, oh, I know every word, all verses, all that. And I was like, you, I was like, you know every word? She goes, yeah, every word. So I hit record on my phone and sent you her singing the whole yeah. song. And I was like, do you like Craig Morgan? And she goes, this is my favorite song, like one of my favorite songs ever. Oh, I, saw, I, mean, I remember that. Yeah. I remember when you sent that. I think I may have been in Alaska. You were in Alaska. Yeah. Yeah. And then, because you followed that up with a, a picture of you and some huge animal in the yeah. snow. Yeah. That was your response back. You're like, and here I am with a big dead animal. <laughs> what, what was it for you that actually started having people pay attention to who Craig Morgan, the artist, was? Uh, it had to be, man, I, it was like four or five hits into it. Um, I mean, I, you know, obviously Almost Home got the attention of the industry. But it wasn't, like I could go after even Almost Home, um, that's what I love about Sunday, Redneck Yacht Club. Almost Home, though, if I remember correctly, wasn't a number one. No, it was uh, it, like it went to number three on the charts, on one, five on another. Uh, but it was a song that got a lot yes. of attention. Uh, it was just a real country song. It was very long at the time. Everyone thought it was too long for country radio. It came on the charts, fell off the charts, came back on the charts. Is that right? And, and, That's and, rare. Yeah, it was real rare. And they said, and in fact, they changed after that happened with that song is when they changed the whole chart process because of that song. Was the chart process you now that you can't come back on the you chart? Can't right. Uh, Once you if, fall if off, if you lose your bullet, right, you can't come back. Even if you regain, if you have the potential to regain the bullet, and that's that was kind of what changed that. So, um, and we had Redneck Yacht Club. I mean, it was a number one, you know. So it had these huge hits. And I think it was the following single after Redneck. I remember walking through the airport in Nashville, and people were looking at me. Uh, and I had done at this point, we'd done videos for all these songs as well. So you know, those those were marketing tools 
in the time, especially. But I was, I had done some TV stuff. And I remember walking through the airport and these people were looking at me and I was with my wife. And I, I mean, after about the fourth or fifth You think person, your flies down? I, I literally <laughs> look down and I'm like, what is everyone looking at? And my wife looks at me and she says, you're Craig Morgan, you idiot. <laughs> like, that's when it hit me. He's like, Wow. Do you think it was people seeing you on something else and matching it, matching the artist with the the person they saw on TV? Or do you think it was just so many hits that you were just present enough for people to start paying attention? I really don't know. I think it may have been a combination of things. Uh, You know, I've been very fortunate to have hits over the years, (laughs) label after label. Um, But but I also managed to do a lot of other things, too. Uh, I'm always fascinated when I do a show, especially now, you know, 20, almost 20 years later and go, how many people see me for the first time? And all these people raise their hands. I'm like, holy cow, man, I've been doing this 20 years. And, and, and then I'll talk to people and they go, yeah, man, I, I never heard of you. And I seen you on Rizzoli and Isles and I Googled you or, or I seen you on nowadays. Now it's like, you know, I've, I've seen you on Facebook or I, I've, I've seen you with some. It's always weird. They see me in a different um, arena of some sort. And then they Google me and they find out, oh, wow, I'm, I like this song. I like country mm-hmm. music. This was my, what's really weird is when they find you and they go, oh, my gosh, Almost Home was my favorite song. Always has been. But they never knew. But they didn't match it. Yeah. So it's taken a long time for me, unlike a lot of people uh, who it happens right up front. You know, for me, it's taken a long time to put it all together. <laughs> Did you ever have those meetings? I'm sure you had the meetings, but I guess what were those meetings like early on? Because I've had them too, where they go, all right. We need to front face you with what people are going to know about you the most. Like, are you going to be the redneck guy? Are you going to be yep. the military guy? Are you going to be the dad? Like, where they kind of go, all right, who are we? What are we shooting for here? Man, like, we <laughs> early on. What What were those meetings like for you? Uh, do you wear a hat? Uh, were, a lot as of the in, questions. As in a hat, yeah, like cowboy, cowboy hat, hat, yeah, ball cap. You know, I mean, I got a ball cap on now, but I don't always wear a cap. In fact, I used to be the anti-hat guy because I wanted everyone to know that I had hair. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and you still do. Yeah, and yeah. I still do have hair. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you know, Bobby. Still to this day, we still have those conversations. Uh, uh, the management that I'm with and have been with now for about six years. Uh, that, that was the one thing I told them up front. Your job is going to be very difficult because I'm not one guy. I'm, this is not my whole life. My whole life don't revolve around singing country music. I love singing and writing music. I love it, and I love country music with everything fiber that's in me. But I also love. Riding dirt bikes. I also love being in the outdoors. I also love working with law enforcement. These are things that I do, and I'm going to continue to do. So I'm not going to not do those things in order to make your job easier. So that I am that one guy. Uh, so they, you know, it's, it's tough. It's tough for them, and I respect that. I understand it, but I don't care. It's, I'm not going to stop being who I am in order that I might become more famous. You know what I mean? Did they ever try to make you a hat act? Oh yeah, I got pictures of me in the cowboy hat. <laughs> was that because they said, hey, we think you should wear one? Or you're like, you know what? Sometimes I wear one. Uh, it was a little bit of both. They they asked me if I would wear it. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I do it at the house sometimes. It ain't really a cowboy hat because I ain't no cowboy. Mm-hmm. But it's a uh, Western hat that I use on the farm. If I'm on my tractor, sometimes I'll wear it. Uh, and it's dirty and nasty. But, okay, well, what if we got you a new one? <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, I tried. I did some of those things. Early in my career, I wanted to do what I needed to do, uh, and not just to be successful, uh, but but I wanted to I wanted to do the right things, you know, and I didn't know. 
So I trusted the opinions of all of these supposedly smart people. And and I ain't going to say that I, I didn't compromise any of my beliefs or values. I mean, it's like putting on a different pair of jeans. You yeah. know, I'm, I mean, if you think those jeans look better on me, that's the ones I'm going to wear. I can't see my ass. So <laughs> if you think my ass looks good in those, that's the ones I'll wear. <laughs> yeah, and it's not like you don't own the jeans. Yeah. They just think those jeans are the appropriate jeans Correct. to wear for this in the same, season of your life. Correct. It's career. Same with the hat. Yeah. You know, and and I don't like I see guys now that you know that I've watched some of these acts that have come up. You know, that's why I love, love some of these guys that they just don't care, man. I love that because I was kind of that guy. I didn't really care, but I did enough to to try to do what they would ask me to do. You know, instead of saying no, I wasn't a no. I'm this guy, and I'm not stray from you know because I'm like I, I don't know who am I to tell these people that have been in the business for twenty years that right. it that I'm not wearing, that it's not good for me to wear a hat in a photo. I don't have to wear it all the time. That's what they said. Don't wear it all the time. Don't You don't have to wear these shoes all the time. You don't have to wear this, whatever. But we'd like you to try these things. Sure, I'll try them, you know. Uh, but some of these guys now, man, they're like, ah, whatever, you know. I just want to sing. Yeah. You know, and I love that. And that ends up kind of being their thing. It, it really, I mean, look. Yeah. Luke, yeah. Luke Holmes and his dang, yeah. uh, whatever them holy shoes are. Them, Crocs. Them, I hate Crocs, man. <laughs> I'll uh, never have a croc deal now that I've said that. You know what? Cro- I actually wear crocs, but I don't wear the rubber ones. They make some really cool looking, uh, like, uh, the, okay, I, I call slides. them my beach shoes. Yeah, I, I have croc slides. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you were a kid, who was it that you listened to a lot that made you go, dang, like, music's actually cool? Not I want to pursue music, but you're just like, dang, I really like listening to this person. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I listened to a lot of different things, but there were, there was a couple in particular that really influenced me that, that I heard them and I went, man, I love this. Lionel Richie. Always loved listening to Lionel Richie. Luther Vandross. John Conley. <laughs> I know there's a big spectrum mm-hmm. there, a big change. but uh, uh, And then later on, like Garth, you know. Uh, but I also loved Randy Travis. I loved, uh, I like Jim Ed Brown. I love some of, some of the Jim Ed Brown stuff that I heard my dad listening to. I enjoyed that. But for me personally, it was... James Taylor, Luther Vandross, um, uh, and then in the country realm, John Conley, Lee Greenwood, some of that. Uh, Randy Travis, I just loved Randy Travis stuff, you know. So it was a little bit of everything. I loved music, but it had to be a song that I that uh, told a great story. Uh, I don't know. I liked uh, and and melodies were important to me. I liked a good melody. Um, but it had to tell a story. I wasn't just a, you know. You weren't just looking for a hook. I wasn't looking for a hook. You didn't want to catch a chorus. You needed didn't, to catch a chorus matter. surrounded by. Yeah, yeah, but I didn't know. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I was just a guy listening to music. Did you ever you have know? a chance to meet Lionel? I did. How, was that, I was Very that? nice man, yeah. yeah. I work with him now on American Idol. Yeah. I spent four years, and he is lovelier than he should have to be. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I got so frustrated because I, I love Lionel Richie, and I only met him in passing at an award show. And and he was very polite, very kind. Uh, but it's like I I grew up listening and loving Lionel Richie. Like for me, music is impacting at different times in our life and different people. Like I'm a big fan of Skip Ewing. A lot of people don't even know who Skip Ewing is. But I loved his music, and it was important to me because it came to me at a time in my life when I was in Panama in 1989 for the ousting of Manuel Antonio Noriega. So after the war was over, you know, we were riding around through this battered up country and I'm listening to Skip Ewing records. So that music stuck with me because of what was going on in my life. Same thing with Lionel Richie a little later on in my life. And 
like, I, I sang Lionel Richie's, so I'm easy. And, I, you know, I felt like I love to sing that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, everybody's freaking singing with Lionel Richie but me. Uh, it was like, I like the Tuskegee Like, album. come on, yeah. this was my thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Well, um, he, he is a wonderful guy. Yes. Uh, Just, I, and has pulled me aside and given me advice privately so many times uh, that, that you're like, he's also a guy that's been famous for so long, he doesn't know what it's like to not be famous anymore. Yeah. Wow. But still, just a wonderful guy. But I'll be frustrated too if he came to town and he's like your guy. And then he's like, "I'm going to do a song <laughs> with McGraw. I'm going to yeah. do a song with you know." Yeah. Um, what, but I get it. You know, I wasn't at a point in my career where you know that could should or could happen. You know, you did maybe on our show you did easy. I may have. Yeah, yeah. I think you, you played that. Could you sing in the back? It just kind of hits me. I think you came and played that on the radio show one time. I just love it, man. All of his stuff. I mean, there wasn't much that he did that I didn't like. So. Mm-hmm. And he was he was really good whether at at delivering the material. Those songs were great. They told stories and the melodies were phenomenal. So I remember it's funny you mentioned certain music that reminds you of certain times. And I read this book once, it talks about, you know, if we were at in a traumatic part of life and there's a certain album or song that we're hearing a lot it triggers a, a chemical in the brain just for a split second that gives us that feeling like we're in that spot. 100%. And when you mention that, I think back to like a Red Hot Chili Peppers album, more like getting kicked out of a trailer. And, <laughs> but I, and we, we know we're, getting, we're basically getting evicted out of a trailer Come park. Come on. But I remember listening to that album so much, that um, Blood, Sugar, Sex, Magic album from Red Hot Chili Peppers, that when you said that, I was like, oh yeah, I, I mean, right now I can think of Red Hot Chili Peppers. I can think of moving in with my grandma in like sixth grade when... Don't Take the Girl was a, was a song, and I would t- turn on like Kiss in 96. It'd be on all the time. But like when I hear that song, it triggers that spot again, like moving back in with my grandma. Yeah. I'm six years, or uh, uh, sixth grade. What a wonderful thing, huh? Yeah. Uh, and music not so wonderful that. sometimes. But, but no, yeah. but wonderful that music can do that. Yes, it can. Because I'll hear a Counting Crows album and think about being in college when I was broke, but I was at, it was the greatest time of my life. Yeah. Because I was going, I have my whole future ahead of me. I know what I want to do. I'm going to go tackle this, but I would go play King Goofy Junior Baseball not all night long with this Counting Crows <laughs> album on. But music has the ability to do that, to almost transcend us in a way. Yeah, and you know, being on this side of it now, because I remember being on that side. I remember being on the side of listening to music, and then in my life, time would pass and hear a song and go, oh, and like you said, it just instantly, I, I can vividly see everything that's going on in that time that passed. Now I'm on the other side, and it's super weird for me to have people come up and talk about how songs that I have sang uh, take them to certain places and how it triggers them and emotionally, you know, and it, it, for me, that's just fascinating. And I'm, I'm always a little taken back by it and a little dumbfounded by it. It's like, you know, I'm not that guy. I'm not the memory maker. I'm not the, you know, but I am. It's, I gotta I've been imagine, blessed. Yeah, I got to imagine too, with, that's what I love about Sunday does that with a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Because even with me, it makes me think about Mountain Pine, Arkansas. Maybe the characters aren't exactly the same, but you know, when you're from a small town, yeah, the characters are kind of all the same because that's just life in a rural part of America. Dude, I sing that song, and I have sang it for many years, but to this day I can sing that song, and if I close my eyes, I can see my house uh, you know, with the swing on the front porch, kids in the yard. I can see all of those things. My mom next door. You know, I mean, it, there's things in that song for me too, and I'm the guy that's singing. They're, but that's those are rare. i got to be honest. I think those songs that are that impacting, uh, they're just not, that's not every song. 
And that doesn't mean that every song is that you know that's a number one isn't a great song, uh, but but not every number one does that. Right. Well, not every number one's actually good. Yeah. And lasts more than you know a chart run. That's why when we talk about you know almost home, a song that I just think when you sit in that writer's room and you're like, all right, I'm a homeless guy, I'm asleep. I'm dreaming about almost being back home. You know, a guy in a bad situation. You wake me up. It's like, oh God, my, I go like, how does that concept even come up? And then it's fruition <laughs> to get recorded to be a single. Like, there's so many steps for that song, but it all starts with somebody in a room going, "All right, like, what 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 happened in that room with that song?" Uh, me and Carrie Kurt Phillips. I was actually this song started. I was on the road, and uh, we were doing a lot of shows that year. And my wife had called me. And this was early on, you know, early on in my career. Uh, but we were doing so, and, and, and at this time, they weren't like big paying shows, but we're doing a lot of radio stuff to promote not just the music, but Craig Morgan and let people know who I am. Which, so by you, the way, doesn't pay at all. No. Yeah. So we're literally doing visiting radio station three, sometimes three a day. Uh, and I was calling her on the way home, and she said, you know, she was actually griping because I, early on, I thought for some reason that I told her, she says, I told her this. I don't recall it, but she said, I told her, look, I promise you I won't do over 10 days at a time. I'll come home for a few days. I mean, we had kids, you know, we had a life and everything. And I guess I'd been gone for more than 10 days, and we, she was complaining. And I said, look, just relax. It won't be long. I'm almost home. I'm like, oh, bang, that's a great idea. So I remember writing it down and thinking about it. And I come back, had a writing session with Carrie. And I told Carrie the idea, and we started writing on it. And three months, it literally took a long time because I was going in and out of town so much. But every time I would come in and we would write, we would ride on it. And I was com- I was going over there one day, and I seen an old guy on the side of the road down there holding up a sign. Literally was holding up a sign that uh, a lady was holding up a sign before. It said, pregnant, need food, something like that. And he had marked out pregnant, need food. And I told Carrie, and I said, I seen this guy with this sign. You know, I said, that guy was almost home. And Carrie said, stop the boat. And we finished that song. Wow. It was. It took that long, and that actual thing happening that to situation. you. That situation. To pull. Okay, so... The song is written, but now you got to decide what you're going to cut. So here's the favorite thing about this song for me. For Of all the stories of any song I've written or hit we've had, I was leaving the session, and I felt really good about this song. And I'm kind of singing it to myself, and we did a work tape. Uh, and, you know, then I think it was a cassette. And so I had the cassette tape, and I had a Jeep. I had an old Wrangler, and I was playing it back and forth and going down the highway and Phil O'Donnell, Phil Billy called me and he goes, hey, how'd it go with Carrie? And I said, man, we finished this song. Uh, and he said, well, tell me about it. And so I read him the verse, read him, didn't sing it to him. I read no him. No melody, it's spoken no word. No melody, Got spoken it. word, the verse and the chorus. And he said, well, how does it go? And I said, you know, I just climbed out of a cottonwood tree. I was running from some honeybees. And I kind of sang a little bit of the melody, a little different than what I ended up with. And he goes, hey, listen here. He goes, you know that 40 acres that I have that you've been wanting over in Hickman County? I said, yeah. He said, I'll give you that 40 acres for half of your publishing. I'm not making any of this up. Half of your publishing period of everything or the, uh, for that song? For that song. For- <laughs> he said, I'll give you that 40 acres for half of the publishing on that song. And I said, Phil, I can't do that to you, dude. There ain't no way, man. Uh, you know, it's I just I can't do that to you. It wouldn't be fair. Thank God. <laughs> So, you know, lo and behold, we end up tracking it. I remember taking it to the label, and the label tells a completely different story. They say that I came in and played it for them, and they're like, oh, this is going to be a hit. 
That is not what happened. Revisionist history on their part? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I go in, I play it for them, and they're like, I don't know, it's awful long. It's extremely country. I will say, in John Loba's defense, the head of Broken Bow, or actually he was the head of A&R at Broken Bow at the time, he, or promotions. He was the head of promotions. This, you know, this is 2002. 2000, yeah, maybe 2000, 2001. 2002. Okay. Because this was 03 when it came out. Okay. Late 02. And he says, uh, man, I think I think we can make this work. Uh, it's just just country and just different enough that I think, you know, and he was he was competent song. But others at the label were like, ah, it's too long, it's too country, you know, we've got other things, other songs that we think will do better and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, hey, look, you know, I'm a unanimous decision kind of guy. You know, I'm, there's no way I'm going to say this is it and everyone else says it ain't. So we have to collectively agree. So we fought around about it. And finally, John's with not telling anyone, he took this song and he went to Knoxville to WIVK. Isn't WIVK? I don't know. Some One of the country stations out in Knoxville. Not the one I'm on in Knoxville, so I'm not going to comment. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but this is a long time ago, right. too, you know. And he literally... Uh, they they wouldn't even see him. So he sets up a tent in the front yard of the radio station. He set up a tent in the front yard. He camped out there for three days. Wait, he literally camped there? Literally camped out. Three days later, they finally talked to him, and they played the song, and that was the beginning of the history-making of that song. He believed in that song so much, he camped out for three days. Three days. So, like I said, I got to give John Loba credit because wow. he's the one that really fought for that in the beginning. And then it just became, it just blew up. And I remember thinking, oh, cool, we got a hit. You know, what's the next song going to be? And that's kind of, I mean, it's terrible, but it's kind of where my head was. You know, and, it, and it, as it started working through, and then it fell off the charts, or it didn't really fall off the charts. It had an increase in spins, but for some reason it lost its bullet. And there was a big discussion, you know, about the chart, about, oh, it's got to not come off, it's got to stay on, and all this stuff. And so I didn't really pay much attention. I'm just like, hey, just let me know where we're at. Let me know what's going on, what I need to do. You know, I'm here for the job. Uh, anything I can do to support it, that kind of thing. And all of a sudden they tell me, hey, it's got its bullet back. And um, it never lost spins, but I don't know, something weird happened. I would imagine. It was a big deal. I would imagine that. Audience went down because there were a couple of big stations that probably played it less, but other stations played it more. So spins went up and a bit of audience went down. Yes, it was one of those. Weird it was one things. of those weird. Yes, and back then it was there was a lot of questions as to what you know how that managed to stay on the charts because mm-hmm. it was different. You know, songs went on the charts and were up and down back then. It, they didn't stay like you know. All of a sudden, between that song and uh, International Harvester, where a song would be on the chart for. You know, oh my gosh, 40 weeks. It was insane. You know, it was terrible how long a song would stay on. Um, But it ended up, you know, going back up again, and it just became this huge, huge hit, which today it's probably still one of my biggest songs. When I do a show, I'm I'm fascinated to look out to a crowd, and there's a kid singing every lyric to the song that wasn't alive when that song was released. Yeah, that song... That's what I love about Sunday to me. I see more than that song, but that song hits me harder than than anything you've ever done. You know, uh, and and they all have different. And it's funny. What's really funny too, from what I've experienced, is it can be different regionally. You know, International Harvester in the Midwest may be one of my biggest songs. It's crazy out there. I mean, there's people riding around with, you know, my name on their tractors and crap because they're so into that song. You know. 
But of all the songs, the song that I personally received the most response from through all the, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we now have a social media platform that sure. we didn't have in 2002, you know? All of the outlets that we now have, we didn't have then. Uh, so we didn't, we didn't have the opportunity to, to give, to utilize that and to communicate that way. Uh, and now we do. But the Father and Son and the Holy Ghost, I have experienced more response, more stories than any song I've ever released. Uh, it's just been amazing. I would imagine the more you put yourself out there, the more people relate. And because tragedy led to that song. Oh, yeah. And so you going, and I, I learned a bit about this when I wrote my first book because I talked before my mom died. She died in her 40s from you know drug addiction and alcohol. And I, I wrote in my first book a lot of struggle before she died that I had. And I was very vulnerable about my situation, her situation, our situation. And I thought, no one's going to relate to this. Uh, people are going to feel, I don't want people to feel sorry for me, but I don't, I, I don't want that. But what happened was people went, hey, like, I felt that. Like, I'm glad you said that because I feel that. Yeah. And it was, that to me was such an awakening. And I have to imagine with you being extremely vulnerable with this song about something so close to you that people had to go, I felt like, thank you, because I feel the same way about something in my life. Almost verbatim what you're saying. That's the, that's the verbiage they use. I feel exactly what you're saying in my life. And I'm glad that you were able to do that. It helps me uh, in the same way that you're talking about doing it with your book. Uh, and that's, that's difficult. It's really hard for any of us as humans to be so vulnerable because it hurts and it hurts every time. And it's scary. It is. It's yeah. scary to be so vulnerable. But at the same time, it, when you, I, I know, I, I can say this now, having done it in that situation, and I'm not, I'm not doing it in everything that's happened in my life, but I'm able to do it with that for whatever reason. And I can say, I feel like I did the right thing. It, it even though it hurts, and the stories hammer me, man. I mean, it just, it breaks my heart to hear them sometimes. But but I know that I know that I know that I know that it was the right thing because it helped that person. And my pain, it's my whatever I may be dealing with at that time when I'm reading it, is what I'm supposed to experience in order to help other people. I think that's the way it is. You know, we're as a human race, sometimes we have to hurt to help others. That's just the way it is. And we should do that. We should be willing to do that. That's, I think that's the problem with our society now. Yeah. Nobody's willing to hurt to help. And it's okay. It's okay to hurt to help a little bit. And when I say hurt, be hungry uh, to help those who are more hungry or, you know, do a lot without something. And everybody that's listening would probably say, oh, it's easy for you to say, you know, you've been, you're successful. But you don't know. You don't know where, I've hurt, where we hurt. And so I don't question anyone else's hurt. You know, the, I know billionaires but I know they have pain, and I know they hurt, and I know that they help others through that sometimes. So, You know, because I'm going to ask you a really dumb question in a second to make up for this, but, you know, I, I've seen you perform that song live a couple of times, and I know at times when I'm speaking and I have to speak about my mom or my grandmother or tragedy in my life, like every time I have to fight off the hurt. Yeah. And sometimes I'm good at it, and honestly, sometimes I'm not. Amen. And so when you have to sing this song and it's about your son that passed away, yep. does it feel different every time? Are you fighting it off every time? Or is it, does it like how, just in your mind, in your head, what are, what's happening? I, I have to fight it every time. 
Like even now, discussing it, my chest hurts. Yeah, no, I get you know it. Cause me about? too. Sa- yeah. Same thing. Everyone has a tra- everybody that has experienced some sort of tragedy has that same. I think has that same feeling. Our feelings, our emotions, our reactions, all those things are a little different. But that physical, that literal physical feeling, is I think kind of the same for all of us. It makes your chest hurt. Like talking about it, my chest hurts. Mm-hmm. And you have to breathe a little deeper, you know, to kind of calm that heartache or whatever. Um, but I, I have to fight all the time. Sometimes I can't. I rec- I've gotten to the point now I can recognize that. I know that if I'm really tired, if I haven't rested well before a show, there's no way I'll be able to do it. And so there's times I won't. I just don't do the song. Because I know there's no way I'll finish it. And 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 my guys, have they, they know me well enough now to know that, oh, there's no way he's going to do it. He's just not in the emotional and, and not that I'm not in a good state. You know, we all have the ability to overcome and adapt and improvise, and I can throw a lot of military terms at you. Um, but for me in that particular state, I don't have to. So I'm not going to force myself to uh, to endure that when I know that the outcome is uh, outcome of it is I don't think will accomplish anything for anybody out there. Um, I got to finish the song in order for it to be what that person who's there needs to hear. And if I can't, even if I struggle at the end, I, I got to get to the end anyway. Well, there's times I recognize that I know I won't make it to the end. I mean, dude, there's other songs that have absolutely nothing to do with my son. And I have to scratch them from the show sometimes, depending on my mental state, you know, my, my, where my headspace is and how I'm thinking about it. There's good days and bad days. Uh, and even on the good days, it's, you know, it can be a struggle. Um, I just, I have to find a good place, you know, and, and. And and some days I just can't do certain songs because I can't help but think about him and or my wife, you know. And and I hurt for my wife. I hurt for my kids. I hurt for my dad. My dad and my son Jerry had such a great relationship that it it impacted my dad, you know. And it's made it it's really tough on him. So I have to think about it sometimes when I go see my dad and how I'm talking about certain things. Fishing. That's what they did together. That was their thing. Going fishing. My wife and Jerry's thing was going. They're the beach. They they both love the beach, you know. So I have to be real sensitive. And we have a place on the beach. So I have to think about it when I'm there and how I approach that, you know. And and sometimes just freaking sitting back trying to think about it, what it is you got to say and do can be a struggle. You know what I mean? It's a lot. Like, yeah. You know, so. But everybody else has to deal with something like that as well. Uh, and I, and I, I can't help when I talk to somebody. I, I remember that, that uh, oh, it's been all over all the socials. Everybody talked about it. You know, you never know what someone else is going through at that time in their life when you're there. And I try to keep that in mind. Um, and I would hope that as a human race, we all try to do a better job at that as we move forward in life. In every pair of Tacova's boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tacova's boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they'll last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tacova store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. They offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. And stay cool in short-sleeve moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tacova's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. Tacovas.com. 
don't go gently, y'all. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed as The Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, that's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The boar's nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the kids at St. Jude. St. Jude's been leading the way in the world's best survival rates for some of the most aggressive forms of childhood cancer. Your support means that families never get a bill from St. Jude for treatment or travel or housing or food. So the families can focus on helping their child live. And that really hits home for me because I've been to St. Jude many times. I've hung out with the kids, played music for the kids. I was in the hospital a lot as a kid. Now, I didn't have cancer, but if it wasn't for people stepping up, I don't know that I would have been able to go and stay in the hospital and be taken care of. So that's why we do this, take care of others. You can help St. Jude stop childhood cancer by becoming a partner in hope. When you do this, you'll get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. So join all the doctors and researchers, you know, and me in this fight and just text the word Bobby to 785-833. It's only six numbers, but text the word Bobby to 785-833. Well, my really dumb question now is about a song. How many people were like me and thought that you were harvesting in other countries, international harvester, not the actual brand? (laughs) You didn't really think that. Yeah, I did. And I'm embarrassed to say it. And you know what? We had... I love your honesty. There were a lot of... And it wasn't just, obviously, harvester. International was a brand we had all around us growing up. Yeah, Yeah. Never. I was such an id that I would be like... He's an international harvester. I, I was like, what, what other countries is he harvesting in? What am I missing about this song? <laughs> and well, I, I mean, you know, I have harvested in other countries. Well, I'm sure. A different pro- product. <laughs> has in, am I the only idiot that's ever said that to you? No, uh, I wouldn't say idiot, but uh, now, I, I would know that I've heard that before. I would say that because I would hear, I'm the son of a fair generation, father. And I'll be like, all right, but why are you going to other countries, Craig? Like, why would, <laughs> yeah, like do your... <laughs> Do your family proud. Uh, but I did think that. Oh, okay, I love so that, it. that's the truth. I'm being that's on- yours. You own that. I'm one. being honest about that. I appreciate that. Um, what other? What what other song? Like, <laughs> I, I, I was th- talking about International Harvester, though. Okay. I got to tell you something, and this is worth a Google for you. So there is a guy in another country that, <laughs> that, that apparently in this country they're not allowed to do music videos or something. So they kind of sneak around and and go to other places and do videos. It is my favorite version of International Harvester. Oh, he's singing it? Yes. Yeah. Him and his girl. And it is the video is, dude, it's priceless. What country? I don't know. But he says, I'm the son of a third generation farmer. And they got the they got the harvester, they got the cornfields, the girl in the 
denim shorts and boots and tank top kind of. Oh, it's great. Talk I will definitely, I'll find it for you and text make it sure to you me. get to see it, yeah. Most things I get from you are dead animals, but I'll take, <laughs> I'll take that too. It's always, hey, Craig, you're like, hey, look what I killed. It's a, uh, it's a nine-headed platypus <laughs> with three horns coming out of, out of his butt. I'm trying with the, to get you to go hunting. With, with the black bass attached to it. <laughs> you know what I was, the song I was talking about in my show, I'd never heard it, but I was playing them uh, Corn Star. Oh, please. Oh, God. That's what I said. I'm going to be honest to you. I was like, you oh, know what? God. I said, I'm the biggest Craig fan as a person. And I said, but the one song that he... Like, where did you, why did you do that? That he's ever put out. This is a couple days ago, right, Mike? Yeah, it was. I said, the one song he's ever put out <laughs> that I was like, I don't know, man. It's Corn Star. And you know, at the beginning, we were like, oh, look at her, boys. You know, she's in the aisle of the store. Tell me about Corn Star, because I need to know the conversation about cutting and putting the song out. Okay, I'm going to be honest. I had to... I thought, and I still to this day think that's a hit song. I don't think it's not catchy. I think, to me, it was a Red Solo Cup kind of thing. Okay. Just a catchy, goofy, fun, but a play on words. Anytime you can do something, you can play on words like that, and and it, and it worked, and I felt like that worked. It was just a matter of timing, and I told them, I did say, they were like, this is the next song. I'm like, no, we are not ready for this yet. We need a much bigger hit on this album before we release this as a single. And I, and I, I, I still stand by that to this day. I still think that it is a great, funny, fun play on words. All of that is true. I compared it to a song like Honky Donk, Badonkadonk. Yes. Because yeah. without the big hits, that, that song doesn't make sense by yeah. itself. Yeah, you got to have... You got to have the train really on all engines running full speed for that one to stay on the tracks, and it didn't. <laughs> the rest of the show, I didn't even, hadn't even heard it before. Oh yeah, and, well, and I was like, "What do you mean? It had to be like top ten. And then I looked; it wasn't. It wasn't. I guess it, no. The, the stations just don't want to play it because of the. Uh yeah, they just didn't want to play it. It was it was a timing thing, mm-hmm. you know. And and even they said the same thing, you know. Which I'm glad because it made me look like a genius with the label. Oh, well, we, we should have listened to you. Maybe you'll listen next time. <laughs> you know, the, the song that I, I've, I always liked and sang along to, but I didn't quite understand until <laughs> I, uh, I had met Caitlin, who's my fiance, was This Old Boy. Oh, yeah. I didn't ever quite feel it in my gut until you actually have and that. You, yep. And, 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 you know, and the song's about, you know, well, this old boy, you can't believe you have her. You know, she's the best. And, and finally... Because she loves to listen to your music. And sometimes I'm like, can we just change it from Craig Morgan for a minute? <laughs> but that song, I would hear it, and I would be like, yeah, I know all the words of this song from I Listen on the radio. I said, like, but now I kind of get it. Yeah. Like, I finally feel like this old, you know who gets you? This old boy right here. Yeah. You make me look good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were at a restaurant last night. It was, it was uh, True Food. It's a little healthy place. Um, little chain about six, seven miles away. We were in there eating. <laughs> And there was a couple, and Caitlin's way prettier than I am, even on a scale, like points wise. I, like, I don't, it just isn't. And so, but people look at her and then they look at me and they're confused. <laughs> I get that every time I'm with my wife. Yeah, they're just like, huh. And they go, there's something, there must be something about him that we're not seeing. Yeah. Cause she's so pretty and funny and smart. Everything I'm good at, she's actually better at, which is weird. Yeah. Like, she's funnier than thing. I am, she's smarter than I am, she, everything. But people look at me, but but it's like that song. I'm like, 
Yeah, you, but you know who gets it? This guy right here. Like I, that, I won. Yeah, that's the way I feel most of my life, and I'm, I get the same thing. People look and they go, "Oh, that's Greg Morgan. Oh, look at his wife. Oh, I get it, country singer." I don't yeah. know. I she married. She married the guy. I think they look at me and they're he's like, a singer. <laughs> "Like a surgeon." I mean, I'm such a nerd. It's got to be something like that. Play a little bit. Do you have this old boy queued up there, Mike? That's a, uh, you know, the uh, songwriter, the guys, Georgia Peach. Mm, Peach Pickers. Peach Pickers. Mm-hmm. That's who that wrote that. Really? Yeah. yeah. Red. I got that from Red. So. You got a, uh, so what's up with the Craig Morgan camo hats right on your website? Craig Morgan. Yeah. You, have you seen the Craig Morgan camo hats you have up there? 25 bucks. They look good. Oh, yeah. I just seen those. Yeah. Just, in fact, I, uh, I had them flying off the shelves. Yeah, they've done real well. It's not. It's just like a military, an old military pattern or something. Yeah, I saw that when I came over here. I was going to tell people they need to get one of these. Yeah, some of the, uh, you know, we have merchandise guys and all these people, mm-hmm. again, that are smarter than me. And they just, they come up with a bunch of stuff and go, do you like this? And I'm like, yeah, that's cool. And they go, we think it'll sell. I'm like, let's try it. Sure. You know, COVID was, uh, ironically enough, was, I, I hate to use say that it was good for our merchandise sales because you don't want to think COVID was good for anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, we did really well during the pandemic. I want to thank everyone that w- went and bought stuff, uh, the merchandise. Um, but I, I was kind of mind boggled by it. Like, I can't believe, I feel like nobody's working right. and, and everybody's buying merchandise and CDs and stuff. So it's kind of weird. Uh, Maybe, but cool. At the, the joy is getting a package. Like that's the only joy we were getting because we weren't leaving our house. So things had to come to yeah, us for joy. Yeah. <laughs> we were like, order something online. It's a, it's a big day. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, I should own stock in Amazon. My wife. Yeah. Did you stay in Alaska for a lot of the shutdown? We did. Yeah. Why Alaska? I've been going up there for about twenty-five years. Uh, for everything from. And I only ask because it's far, not yeah, because of any other. That's I, right, I don't. Yeah. I don't like cold either, but some people do. But it's far for it's, it's far from Tennessee. It's a long. It's. I mean, it's quite an endeavor just to get up there, especially where I'm at. It's one thing to go to Anchorage or Fairbanks, one of the major cities, but I'm off the grid. So you know, you fly into one of the cities, and then you either drive to a spot, and then either walk in or float plane in. Walk or, in. What oh do you, yeah. What do you mean? I mean, the, my my. My place is about nine miles from the nearest road, so you have to. You would so you drive for three hours, park your vehicle, and then I park near a big lake, and I can either have the folk plane pick me up there and fly over to our lake, or I can walk in. Or in the winter, we snow machine in. You can walk nine miles. Mm -hmm. You'll you you will walk nine miles to your place. Oh yeah, with a gun, of course, but. You're a just country to, star. Why are case. you walking nine miles? Well, I mean, in the summertime, if if I can't get the plane up, the weather, inclement weather, and they can't fly, uh, there's not a landing strip. There, you know, they have to land on the water. Why even have a place out that far? Uh, man, because when you get there, Bobby, I got to tell you, you got to experience it. You need to come up. Well, I always tell people too to come in the winter because getting there and getting out of there is so much easier. In the winter, I can literally get from where I park my truck to the cabin in about 15 minutes on a snowmobile. So and we have a property on the road as well, so that's where I store everything. So you'll just leave your truck on the road? Well, in our, on our property sure. there near yeah. the road, and it's a gravel road, so it's not improved. It's not <laughs> uh, 
It's they do grade it during the all the snow. Uh, they do kind of get the snow off the road, kind of. Um, and then we park it on our property and we hop on our snow machines and ride in. But when you get there, man, or if, if you're not real keen on trying to snow machine in, if somebody's worried about that, I just have the plane pick them up in Anchorage and land on the skis on the lake, on the, on the ice. I don't know, you know which sounds scarier, walking nine miles or getting one of the airplanes with the thing pff, on them. Walking's a little freaky, I got to say, especially that time of year because you know that uh, you know the moose are out, you know that bear are out. Um, Anything ever tracking you? Uh, the bear will. Uh, the grizzly. Black bears are kind of like cats. Uh, and I, I, this is the my personal experience. Um, a, a black bear is a lot like a cat. They're skittish and they'll run from you and they don't really come around the fires and stuff too much. But if you corner them or if it's a, a sow with cubs, they get real ignorant quick. Or if they're really hungry and you're between them and their food. Will you ever be their food? Uh, you could be, yeah. Okay. Yeah, easily. That's why we we don't go in without a weapon. What about the grizzlies, though, compared to that to the black bear? Uh, different story. <laughs> yeah, they're a lot braver. Uh, and they're very territorial, much more so than a black bear. But uh, honestly, the bear don't scare me as much as the moose. Uh, a cow moose with a calf will fight you. And, and there's more people injured, harmed, or killed by moose up there than all the other animals combined. What will a moose do... Stomp you to death. And why will it do it? Because it's uh, threatened by you in any way. It's protecting its territory, its calves. If it's a female, she's protecting her calves. If it's a a bull moose in heat, he's protecting his territory uh, to keep you away from his cows kind of thing. You ever had to kill an animal to save yourself? No. Thank God. I have allowed a... uh, I have had to allow... I harvested a a black-tailed deer on the island of Kodiak. And I did not get to go get that because the bear got there before I did. And we sat for six hours and watched that sow and her three calves eat my deer. Because if the animal gets, if the bear gets to the uh, harvest before you do, you can't do anything about it. It's theirs at that point. You can't shoot them. You can't scare them off of it or anything like that. By law, it, it becomes their food. And so she got there first, and she owned it. Now, if I'd have got there before she did, and then she came up, I could have shot her and protected myself. But I don't really want to do that. You know, it's not, that's, not my, that's not, my, not the way I want to do it. was up in Montana about, at this point, six months ago, and this was for my, my Nat Geo show that's coming out in a few weeks. The, um, we were protecting sheep. There's sheep herders, and there's 2,000 of them, and they move around. It's all government land, and they're all plots, and... You know, you lease the land, you move the sheep around. They yep. can only eat certain parts in certain orders. They, yep. But at night, the bears will come and try to, oh, or not just the bears, coyotes, yep. occasionally a wolf, depending on what part. And so, but, you know, they had us, because my job was to make sure the sheep didn't get eaten. <laughs> All night, I had, to, I had to watch the sheep. I had with, uh, uh, you know, these night vision scopes, You'd see like little bears, or you'd see, you'd see the coyotes, and um, but they were like, "Hey, you can't you you can't shoot a bear." Like what you do is you you have your bear spray, and they, what they told me to do is if a bear comes out, you spray the spray into the ground, and, and it it lifts, and then the bear won't come through the bear spray. I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" 
I've got a rifle. If I feel like a bear's coming at me, I'm not grabbing the bear spray. I'll just go to jail for a couple days. If a bear's going to attack me, do you travel with bear spray at all? Or is it no, just you I've there? never taken bear spray um, because I just try to – I will I will avoid the circumstance of putting myself in a position. Now, having said that, I, ha- I always have a sidearm, and it's a very large sidearm. Uh, so if I'm deer hunting, i got a rifle, but I also keep my bear gun with me. Um, I would just try to, I, I don't want to shoot a bear. Now, this is, people are going to, uh, I'm sure I catch fight, but I don't want to shoot a bear in defense. I want to hunt the bear. Does that make sense? If I'm going to hunt it, it's like running over a squirrel in the road. I will hit the ditch. But you lost in, a in squirrel an attempt hunt. to not run a squirrel over because that's not the way I want to do it. But I do go squirrel hunting. Right. That's a good analogy, though. But I also I also don't want to shoot anything that I'm not going to eat or someone's not going to eat or prosper from that. And I don't mean financially, but I mean, you know, they someone's going to get that meat. And uh, so I have a real issue with people who go out and just shoot crap. Like, that just drives. Yeah, me too. Like, like, makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up, and I want to shoot them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I get it, because as someone who had to hunt to eat, the, the first same here. 15 years of my life, same here, I guess buddy. age one through six, I didn't really hunt. Yeah, but yeah. after that, it was squirrel and it graduates up slowly and we had to eat. Yeah. And we had to catch fish to eat. Yeah, same here. It would piss me off when people would be out just hunting to uh, shoot and kill just to have the, just, just for the trophy. Yeah, I get really uh, aggravated. When, and I've been on some hunts in, in some places, in nice places. And, and we go out and I, I work hard, even though. I might not be the guy that did the work to prepare the hunt. You know, there's other guys that do the food plots and do that stuff. And I, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that, and because of my schedule doesn't permit, I get to go there and hunt. And I'll go there and hunt. And I'll be there in camp and see a guy go out and do that. And he'll shoot the animal, go over and take a picture, and then go back to the lodge. It's like, uh, aren't you going to clean that animal or help him at least? I mean, it's one thing to get your picture with your bigger act. But, I mean, and, and they're like, ah, you know, no, nah, I just wanted to hunt, you know, and they're going to give the meat to charity, and that, that that's cool, but at least help them right. harvest it so you can appreciate what that animal is providing. You know, I don't know. It just kind of drives me nuts, man. You know, your story into country music, and I'll just touch on this briefly, is really cool because you were in the military, and like, weren't your superiors going, hey, man, you got to go chase this music thing? Uh, that's the reason I'm here today. I would not have left. Man, I, and I'm from Nashville. I was born in uh, General Hospital down here. Uh, my mom used to always say I was supposed to be born at Baptist, but they didn't make it. They had to stop at General. Um, um, grew up in and around the music business my whole life. My dad was a musician. Kingston Springs was home. I graduated from Cheatham County High School. Uh, went to MTSU. You know, so music it was always part of it. Uh, avoided it. Uh, went in the military. And I think being in the military really made me really miss and appreciate not just music, but home in Nashville. Um, so it was always a big part of my life. You know what I mean? Uh, it, what, was it not? You didn't realize it was as valuable to you until you got away from it? Yeah, I think so. My, again, it's what my dad did. But my dad also had another job. Oh, really? And I thought, I don't want to do something yeah. that that I got to do something else to be able to do it. Of course, then I got out of the Army and uh, and did everything else while I was trying to make it in the business. Uh, but if, if to get back to your question, it was a, you know, I didn't, I was always nervous about it. I'm like, I'm, 
my wife and I would talk. I was writing songs and kind of writing at songs. While you were in the Army. While I was in the Army. And you're playing. For fun, you know. Were you playing around? I mean, were you playing around the other, other oh, guys? Oh, dude, like in Panama? I just did a, uh, a, I just did a show, a TV show, and I brought in five of my buddies that I served with in Panama in 1989. It was my team. The guys worked for me. And we sat around and talked about it, and they talked about how I used to play music. And, like, I don't even really remember that. No, like you did every. You don't remember? We used to sit around the barracks and drink beer, and you would play. And Tim, my buddy, was like, "Man, me and you played all the time together." Like, I, I have vague memories of that. I more remember all of the stuff that we went through. And they're like, "Yeah, but when we weren't doing all those things, this is what we did." You know, like, so they were all very encouraging. And it came to a point in my career. I was ten and a half years of active duty, and I had to make a decision. I was going to reenlist again, or I was going to pursue the music. Uh, and I was just nervous about it. I didn't have near the confidence that a lot of people, you know, I talked to Blake about it a lot, especially early on in our careers. You know, Blake left everything, man, comes here. A lot of musicians that try this, <coughs> excuse me, they come here with nothing or no one. And so in my head, I'm going, well, at least it's where I'm from. I got family. I can, you know, I can work with dad. I can at least have that. So and, and then if it don't work, I can go back in the Army. I'm going to stay in the active reserves so I don't lose any of my time in service, my rank, any of those things. I never would have done it, i got to be honest. If I'd have been a guy from Arkansas or Missouri or Texas or Oklahoma, I'd have, I, would never be, I would not be a country singer today. It's only because I was from Nashville and my family was here and it was home to me. So I felt like my worst case was at least I'm around my family and if it don't work, I'll go back in the Army. How long until you came back home, but also you're kind of venturing into this new world of country music, how long until you realized, hey, I kind of do deserve to be here? Like, maybe I'm not as good as I'm going to be, but like, I, I can compete. How long was it in country music before you started <laughs> to feel that way? Uh, I'm working on it. Yeah? Well, who to- then who told you? Because we talked about it before we came on the air here. Like, so people, when people invest in you, that means they believe in you yeah. and that believes you're going to make them eventually down the road some money, right? Yeah. Because business and friendship, there's, there's a lot of friendship in business, but you know, if someone's going to spend money on you, that they believe in you. When, what that means is they believe that you're going to help them make money. Yeah. And that was who, some, who believed in you? Uh, you know, early on, it was a bunch of different people. Uh, ironically enough, it was one of the guys was a guy that wasn't even in the business. Uh, he was a contractor. Um, and he wanted to be in the business and he had done very well with his business, made a lot of money. And he's like, you know, you got to do this. You know, I'll, I'll, if if I will pay for your house, if it doesn't work, give it a year. And he's one of the guys that convinced me to get out of the army because, and that was the reason why he said, if you get out of the army and you try it after a year, if it don't work, I'll pay your house off and you can go back in the army. Like I got nothing to lose here. You know, and, and there was also a couple guys that had a, a small publishing company. Uh, Wes Mayers was one of those guys, and they said, "We'll sign you to a publishing deal," and they paid me money. You know, it wasn't much, but it was enough, and they believed in me, which led to uh, Maypop Publishing, which was owned by Alabama, which led to Sony Publishing. So it was a lot of those little pieces. Um, but back to the other, the commander, my my colonel at uh, Fort Polk, Louisiana, when I was at that deciding point. I'll never forget sitting down with him and the general. And both of those gentlemen said, we believe that if you stay in the Army, you will be the sergeant major of the Army someday. 
you're, you're fast tracking. You know, you're, you're good at what you do. But we also think that you should at least try this. It was that conversation that led to me pursuing, you know, taking those 40 weekends when I was off and coming to Nashville, meeting with the West Mayors, meeting with the Brian Schweitzers and all of these different people. And, and literally within a year of me leaving the Army, almost to the day when I was ready to cash in on my buddy's commitment <laughs> and go back into the Army, Brian Schweitzer called me from Atlantic Records and said, I want to offer you a record deal. And how'd that make you feel? Nervous, because I was wanting the publishing. <laughs> I had those small publishing deals. At this point, I was writing for Maypop, so I, I, had, I was getting a little more money, which allowed me to not have to work in vinyl siding. <laughs> and I was working as a sheriff's deputy as well. So I was doing vinyl siding on the side, working as a sheriff's deputy, and then doing security as a sheriff, off-duty sheriff's deputy. You know what I mean? And for uh, doing writer's nights every weekend. and You know what I mean? There was a lot going on. So it gave me a little bit more confidence, but it also made me very nervous because I knew, based on everything everybody told me, as an artist in the beginning, you make nothing, man, on shows and stuff. Uh, in fact, everybody else will be making money and you won't. Uh, but I was also making a little bit in the publishing and I started, started getting a lot of interest in a lot of the songs that I was writing. So I thought, you know, I'm, I might try it. Uh, this is at that point. So I'm going to go ahead and... Try it. When I left the Army to come here to pursue the music, it was not to pursue it as an artist. It was to pursue it as a songwriter. Because I had a wife and two kids, and I knew that you could make money writing songs, and I could still do other things to make more money. you know. And then in the process of writing my songs and doing that, I was doing my own demos, and then I started doing other people's demos. And in that one year's time, it turned into that phone call. But which was really weird the way that phone call came from, where he heard my music. It wasn't through an A&R team. It wasn't through a publicist or a publisher. It came from a guy who boarded his horses, who I knew, who every time I would demo my music, I would take it to him, and Jeff would play it. And this guy, Brian Schweitzer, happened to be boarding his horses at Jeff's wow. stables and heard it and asked him, who is that? And he told him, and he called me. And he made a decision that he wanted to sign you from just listening to a, to a demo. Wow. Called me and said, can you come in? I was on my way home from a writing session. Had had the third shift with the sheriff's department at that time. I said, yeah. And he said, where are you? And I said, I'm on Interstate 40, but I can turn around. I had a Jeep Wrangler. And I'll never forget, I cut across, cut across the interstate, right in the middle of the interstate, turned around and came right back 15 minutes. I was in the office. And they asked me to sing something. And I said, well, I mean, you know, they heard one of the demos. He said, sing it. I want to hear you sing it live. I'm like, well, I don't really play it. It's a pianist. It's just, and Al Cooley was there. Al Cooley was one of the most horrendous A&R guys, a brutally, beastfully honest A&R guy. Looking back, he was one of the best. But he, I just remember he had this reputation of being, like, mean, terrible mean, you know. But what it was, he was honest, and he probably saved a lot of people's lives. Um, and they had me sing a song uh, called 302 South Maple Avenue, Acapello. And so I sang it, and uh, literally, right, sitting like this right here, 302 South Maple Avenue. And I sang a little bit, and he says, we'd like to sign you to a record deal. Jeez. Yeah, just like that. Strangest thing ever. So I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. He goes, you have attorney? I'm like, yeah. How about management? I'm like, yeah, yeah. So I walked out of the office, and I called my wife. Uh, no, I did not call my wife. I did not because I, I got home. And I said, I just got offered a record deal. And she said, what did they say? 
I'm like, I said, they asked me if I had managers and attorneys. And she, she, what did you say? I said, I told them, yeah. And she's like, well, you got a manager? Like, and I'm like, no, I got to find a manager. <laughs> I didn't have nothing, you know? That's wild that it all came from a, yeah. a, a horse. From, from a guy who boarded horses. Crazy. He owned Jogo Quick, the world champion quarter horse at the time. And I would take him music, and if Jeff liked it, he would let me write Joe. And if he didn't like the song, he'd put me in Not say, today, Craig. Yeah. <laughs> well, how did you and Blake become friends? How'd you? Because it seems like you guys are pretty close. Uh, we were, uh, and are. We still are. Um, you know, I, I don't. Blake had got here before I did. Blake was working on his career long before. Uh, not long before, but a, a few years before I got here. And so he had started having some radio success. And we, we literally met at a some event in Nashville and just started hanging out. And then he had lived in Hickman County and I was in Dixon. So we weren't that far apart. Uh, both realized that we like hunting. I invited him on a hunting trip on a trip that I was doing in Kansas. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. In Kansas. And at that trip, we became like, we, we were buddies. I knew right then that I liked the guy. Uh, and, 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 and we were both kind of, like I said, he had already had a, a, a couple of songs on the radio and, and then I started having, uh, some success at Broken Bow. Uh, and then we just stayed in touch. I mean, at one point we were, we were with each other all the time. Uh, every time we could do something together, we would. Uh, and then he got divorced <laughs> from Kat and he and Miranda got married. And I had known Miranda a little bit uh, and really thought that Miranda and I had a decent relationship. Um, and she used to tell a story about how she came to Fanfare, and it was one of my early on, first two or three years of Fanfare, when they still called it Fanfare, you know. And she tells a story, and I remember her telling me that how she waited after the show to meet some of the artists and, and that I came out and was the only one that came out afterwards and gave her an autograph. Uh, and so I thought, man, this is going to be awesome. You know, my buddy's marrying this girl who's turned into an artist of her own right and turned into this, you know, it's great. And, but something happened when them two got married, and it, I don't know, she'd be, she was no longer a Craig Morgan fan for some reason, you know, I don't know. Um, but, you know, that's history, and here we are now. I remember when you were doing the Opry, Blake, <laughs> at what, when him, I think him and Gwen were playing from his ranch, I think – yeah, <laughs> I was there. I've just I've I've done hundred so hundred opera yeah. opera shows in the past yeah. you know year. I, but I was he setting you up? Were you setting him up? Were you going back and forth? Always. It's yeah. It, it's it was, horrible. I will tell you though. We uh, I, when my son died, uh, a lot of my friends uh, in this business came out there, and and I, I had man, I gained so much respect and admiration. I already loved all these people. But it's really weird, uh, and Jerry was with me. It's weird when I know them and I love them, and they're I consider them friends. But when a guy like Trace Atkins, Blake Shelton, Jim Ed Brown, and John Conley, and these guys show up at, at my son's funeral, and they stand in line with everyone else out there, ask nothing, didn't want to come in early, you know, I, it just, man, it just floored me. And when I'll never forget, we were we were downstairs, and Cece had come in and was talking. Cause she sang at my son's funeral, and uh, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, 
I don't know, have a sense of, I wanted to comprehend my people and, and, and them to know that I appreciate them being there. But I remember Blake coming in and we cried, you know, we cried together and he hugged me and I felt such an embrace of friendship from him. Uh, and I knew, I knew then that there was nothing that Blake or I could do that would sever that friendship. It wouldn't happen. And I also, at that moment, became Gwen's biggest fan. I had met Gwen via FaceTime a few times when Blake and I were together, and he was like giddy, silly, and loved FaceTiming her. And we would uh, we would lay there together and sit and talk to Gwen or her on FaceTime, you know. And I and I really liked her, but I didn't really know her. But I, when he came in the room, and I said, "Where's Gwen?" And he, uh, did, you know, was she not able to come? He said, "No, she's outside." Uh, she was being respectful, and she did not want to come in until she was invited in. And I just, man, I thought, my Lord. And, you know, she came in, and she too, like, cried and hugged my wife and showed her such an embrace of, of friendship and kindness and warmth. And it just absolutely hammered me, and I've never experienced anything from her but that since. You know, when we're at the award shows, and he's like, let's get out of here for a few minutes, and we go out the bus and hang out and, they're just it, he's in such a beautiful place with her that I've never seen, and I love that. I love it. Now, having said all that, I can text Blake on Monday, April the first, and it might be Monday, June first when I hear from him. <laughs> he is the worst man. Uh, uh, and then I'll get nothing—a picture of him flipping me a bird or something, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we've been friends for a long time. I mean, he came out when I did Redneck Yacht Club. Uh, and I remember when we did Redneck Yacht Club, he had a huge hit. And even, you know, just to show you how weird this business is, I remember talking to Blake, him going, man, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm like, you got a big, huge hit. Are you kidding? You know, and he's like, yeah, yeah but you just don't know. And now you look where he's at. You know, it's just, it's wonderful. What it's is wonderful. there left for you to do? You're just thinking about everything that you are doing, have done, are doing more than have done between... The music, the TV, the passions, walking nine miles to your house. There's and everything, the Opry, everything you stand for, all of the philanthropic work that you do. Like what, what, what's what's happening? What what is your vision for the next ten, fifteen years? Like what what do you want to do? Um, I, I want to do good. I I know it sounds super cheesy, but if you talk to anybody in my camp, they'll tell you. And if as long as I'm doing things that afford me the opportunities to do good things, I'm going to keep doing it. And I also want to—I don't want to be in this business when I'm no longer relevant. I don't want to—I don't want to do it just because I want to do it. I want to do it because people want me to do it, and because they want to hear it, and because when when I do some of these things, for example, I just did a, a military benefit uh, to raise money for a organization that provides trips for not only the veteran, the warrior, but for his family. And after that event, when I got a text the next day from the guy who's over that, said, we raised this much money, which is so much more than I had ever expected. Thank you for being a part of that. When I can no longer do those things, or when my impact at those events is not impacting, I'm going to do something else. And that something else, is just spend more time in Alaska with my wife in Florida, with my wife in Dixon, Tennessee, 
fishing and hunting and, you know, the kids. Um, I've already kind of transitioned into trying to do more of that. But I just want to do more of the good things. I want to I want to transition my life's efforts into providing uh, for those other things. Not me. I mean, I've got all I need, man. I've got more than I deserve. That is the truth. Uh, I I want the people around me to prosper. Uh, I liked it when I like to see that when guys that work for me go on and are having success of their own. That's cool, man. To me. Yeah. Final question. Have you been recording music? Are you go, are you going to have new music? What what's happening here? Because it's been it's been a minute. I'm as excited about what I'm doing as anything I've ever done. So my wife is a big fan of me singing certain music. My wife is not a big fan of my country music. Uh, I love all music. If it, 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 I mean, I, I can go all the way back to the very beginning of our conversation. Who is Lionel Richie, Luther? I love, I love, love, love music with emotion, energy, soul. I, you know, I love that. Uh, so my next project that I am in the process of working on is going to, I'm going to sing with those people whose music I love. Really? I'm trying to. That's cool. I want to, I want to, you know, like I'm a huge Kelly Clarkson fan. I love to hear her sing. She's a monster in my opinion. And I want, I want to sing something with Kelly. I want to sing something with Ed Sheeran. I want to sing something with CeCe Wannis. I want to sing something with Lionel Richie. I want to do those. And it may be one of their songs, maybe one of my songs, maybe something that we write, maybe something I'm writing. I just wrote a song. Uh, I think it's one of the better songs I've ever written. And it's it's not a straight-up country. I'm sure it probably sounds country. Um, but to me, it's not a country song. It's more of a soul song. And I, I, I want to record that kind of stuff. And the label is all about it. Really? That's so that's good. exciting. Well, listen, we have, we have been talking for over an hour. I hope this wasn't too long. I could sit here and do another hour. I could too with you, dude. I love talking to you. I, you know, and I, I I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, we shared a label relationship there for a minute on Black, Black River. River. Yeah. Yes. And I remember thinking, uh, I mean, and, and I'm not going to make stuff up. I told Jerry, I said, really, I think I'd like to get to know this guy better because I think there's something there that I can't see. Because, you know, you were a national syndicated show host and you had your own band thing. So you were super busy doing all these other things. But I felt like there was a person there that I that I would probably do more with if I got to know. And I, in this business, it's, it's weird, man. Everybody, especially early in my career, would try to encourage me. You need to get to know this guy. Spend some time with this guy. I'm like, okay, cool. I found, you know, and I try. But there was nothing me and this guy had in common. <laughs> it's like, look, if me and this guy, that's why I love Blake. Blake and I, if we weren't in this business, Blake and I would still be hanging out on a Friday night, having a beer, talking about certain things, or wine, or we'd be making fun of each other like we do. You know what I'm saying? That's why that worked. It's natural. I've never forced an issue on a re- I've never forced a relationship in this business. Not one of the people that I know and love and hang out with when we're not doing this is someone that I wouldn't be doing that if I weren't in this business. And I found out long after the fact that Bobby Bones was one of those guys that I probably would even if we weren't in this business. And it's taken a long time to get to that point, So, which is why I could talk to you forever. Well, that's nice of you to say. I think you're a lot cooler, stronger, 
tougher, worldly. Nah, you play that wimpy guy. Oh, I think good, all buddy. of that. I yeah, think whatever. But, Keep uh, playing the act, buddy. Okay. Listen, <laughs> sell the books. <laughs> Get the TV shows. All right, all play right. the play the geek, whatever. <laughs> Craig, good to talk to you, my friend. You too, this buddy. has been fantastic. I'm I'm so grateful that you came. You know I'm a fan, so I, I don't I'll need see to you in you Alaska in February. I'm not. You guys are coming up. I, I'm more of a Florida guy. <laughs> it's just a long way. It's just a long ways up there. It is. What if I flew you up on a on a plane? It's just a long ways up there. Privately, I hear you. It's just a long way up there. <laughs> like that's not gonna hook me. I'll be honest with you. I mean, like you fly private I mean, anywhere, listen, everywhere. I just, I, 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 yeah. You're gonna do it. You're probably Your wife right. will you're, love you're, it. You snow right. machine. She would, she would love it. You get the fun gear and you're warm and you set out in a like semi igloo around a fire and then at night you watch. Netflix movies on a big screen where there's no electricity. (laughs) How do you have have Wi-Fi nine miles of people walk? I actually do have this little Wi-Fi box thing that we started using, and I put it in the window, and you get enough Wi-Fi that you can send emails and text messages, and I've literally been able, depending on the weather, download Netflix from it. We In in our cabin in Arkansas, we did have one of those little boxes, (laughs) and and. Wi-Fi went out, so we used it. We used it for three days, and I got my bill. It was like seven hundred dollars. Oh no, we did all the I did was stream. Uh, <laughs> I just stream shows, and it was like, here's your bill: seven hundred and eighteen dollars for a Wi-Fi box. Oh, okay, God. listen, you guys follow and follow Craig on TikTok. Uh, on TikTok, it's Craig Morgan eighty five. Uh, C Morgan Music on Instagram. You, you have all these different names. Tell your people. I know you have them. They need to unify that thing. Get them. I know, and I, they should. I don't even know. Problem is, see, they do that stuff, and then I go, I got this, man. I can do it. Yeah. And then I end up starting Craig Morgan 85. <laughs> like, I have, they're like, why did you do that? Why didn't you do CM All Access? Like every, I'm like, I have no clue. Yeah, what's, what's 85 about? Yeah, and now they're like, can you do this on there? I'm like, what? Man, you got to show me what button to push. Well, f- just Google. And my wife hates that stuff, man. She absolutely hates me trying to get her to do something with me. Like, I want to do the thing. My, I'm afraid my wife would leave me, though. Like, if this is terrible. I don't know if we should say this, but, like, there's a thing trending on TikTok. It's so bad, y'all. Like, these guys fart in a bag and then, like, tell them that it's gas and get them to sniff it or to inhale it. Like, I'm afraid if I did that to my wife, she would divorce me. <laughs> she would leave okay. me. Listen, this, this we've gone off the rails, folks. <laughs> we did. Yeah. All right. All right, buddy. Craig, thank you. Thank, thank you, you Thank you. This has been fantastic. Same here. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. 
have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday.